0: I have waited a very long time to interview this week's guests, but patience has paid off, and I'm utterly sure this programme will blow, or at the very least, open your mind just a little bit more. It's about those tiny little creatures without whom this podcast would not exist, in the sense that so much of the food and drink we eat is dependent on this insect's ability to pollinate plants. Mark Rogers, owner of Twinways Orchard, has immersed himself in the world of bees for many years. Now, whilst I knew bees were important and I knew they were being threatened, for a very long time I've wanted to speak to an expert about what exactly is going on and why we should be concerned. Mark will reveal parts of bees' lives that sound like they belong to science fiction and yet they're happening all around us without us even noticing. For instance, I thought being Queen Bee was a pretty nice gig, but it turns out she's not the boss at all, but the hive's egg slave, being herded around by her inferiors. And did you know that honeybees are greedy vandals? Give them half a chance and they'll rip a hole in the bottom of a flower to get to the nectar, leaving nothing for other types of insects whose tongues were designed specifically for that plant and will pollinate it properly. And we haven't got onto the figure of eight dance that bees do and the amazing things that it tells other bees or how long bees can survive when they're popped in the post. When you listen, I hope you learn as much as I did, and I hope that you will never want to spray your roses or any of your other garden plants again. Please enjoy this week's conversation. Mark Rogers, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast, hugely appreciated. Uh, Can you just explain to people listening, where on planet Earth are we please, Mark? Well, we're in
1: West Dorset, Um, we're in the rolling hills of Melplash, below Mapperton. Um, it's a fairly wet and windy day, well, wet and windy night. Um, So there's not a lot of bee action going on.
0: No, we are wedged in between two storms, aren't we? This will date this for people listening, because hopefully by the time this goes out, it'll be spring and there'll be daffodils and stuff everywhere and bees buzzing around. But at the moment, we're wedged between Storm Kiara and Storm Dennis in the depths of winter, aren't we? We are, yeah. Does that mean the bees are asleep?
1: They are to an extent, yeah. It's so mild and has been that they aren't really properly hunkered down they keep thinking oh hang on a minute. it could be right out there and there's a few things that are starting to flower um, we plant various things that kind of that are kind of like litmus test for what the bees are up to um out there and, and they are kind of flying but they use more energy flying to collect the nectar than they will actually have anything left as a surplus to store, so. Amazing,
0: okay, well we're gonna to come to all of that kind of stuff, and, I, and I've been so uh, wanting, as you know, because we've hassled you every couple of months for so probably the last year, uh, to come and have a conversation about bees, because we see lots of stuff in the press, and, and I've had so many conversations about where our food and our drink comes from, and, and I'm conscious that, that bees are part of the food chain, so we're gonna come into that a little bit, but um, first of all, when you say the word bee, people, are either, they either think, I think, you know, I said it to my son this morning, <laughs> so guess how many species of bees there are, and I, and I gave the answer roughly close I think um, people think bumblebees and they think honeybees but there's actually a lot of bees in the world
1: is yeah, that, is yeah that right? depending on where you're in the world there's different you know there's different niches that need filling and there are different bees so you have great big up in the Himalayas you have these huge bees that um, make comb outside um, hanging up of the cliffs and you have uh, little tiny like what they call them, sweat bees I think in Australia and uh, well, other warmer parts of the the world where they make honey and little, what looks like little water balloons and hang them in little nests. And some that make nests like wasps, sort of like a spiral pattern. And some that work on horizontal planes and some that work on vertical planes. And um, over here, the the type that we have are Apis mellifera. Predominantly. That's in the UK. So how many species are there in the UK? Entirely, general, that. Farm-wise, there are only really apis mellifera. Um, But, I mean, there are people that have bees over here as a kind of... Something to look at, you know, like uh, they'll have a colony of one thing or another just as a kind of, as you would keep maybe, you know, a different type of pet to another. (laughs) Okay,
0: and how about just in the wild? Is there there Uh,
1: Really only just apis mellifera over here. Then there are kind of like uh, localisms. So in the same way that you can tell if someone's from, uh, you know, Cornwall or... Or, or, or Devon or Dorset or, or, or London or Manchester or, you know, Newcastle from certain inflections or even facial characteristics. Really? Uh, you have different bees, you know, like down here you might have sort of a darker type of bee or um, there might have been bees that have been bred in and brought from other areas. So when we've got the right mix of stuff. Some of them are kind of bright yellow and some of them are brown and some of them are kind of tortoiseshell. But they're all the same species. All the same species, but they have right. just different characteristics. Like we cool, have different yeah. coloured hair and eyes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Really.
0: I was chatting to a commoner in the forest. I said this before we came on air, didn't I? But um, yeah, around the species of, uh, of cows and the fact that we used to have all of these species almost mm. regionalised in the same way yeah, that we did yeah. cheese. And actually we moved away from that as we bought over the European kind of big cows. But we seemed to be going back to it. But I never yeah. knew it was exactly the same in
1: bees. Yeah. Yeah, predominantly we've ended up with Apis mellifera, and, and that's part of the problem with the diseases and, and you know um, parasites that we have is that they've generally come over from, uh, for example, like uh, um, Varroa. I think I'm right saying was originally only affected Apis serrana, and so they've kind of evolved over you know over a really long time to almost live with each other, whereas the Apis mellifera never had Varroa, so the, the shock of coming into contact with them, the colonies, in the sort of 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, they uh, the, they just haven't had the time to come to terms with it, basically. And the same scenario with the uh, Asian hornets. Yeah. That's the same deal. There. I think it's apis. Ooh, I can't remember which subspecies it is now, but they will, like, in, enclose the hornets in a sort of, Scrum of bees, and then they'll overheat it to kill the hornet. Whereas our mellifera, they haven't figured that out yet, so yeah. they just get picked off on the doorway and the, the the hornet just eats them. Wow, okay, I'm going to come back to that because that's one of my uh questions for later.
0: And so, there are a number of you know, not all bees are farm. there's loads of bees presumably in yeah. the wild, is there? Yeah, uh, and then there's also farm bees and they coexist, they kind of get to on an right-
1: extent, yeah, yeah. There's you have um so we've got. Uh, probably only a sort of like high 20s of actual bumblebees in this country and different species, that is. And they all have more or less fill niches and work in sort of very specific ways the way that the nest, whether it's in the ground or walls or masonry, timber, are um, bees, the Apis mellifera. They, they were wild colonies and there probably still are some wild colonies, but mostly. Because of the Varroa, they all got wiped out. A lot of them got wiped out. So may, ma- the majority of the population of bees, so if you see a honeybee, it's kept by someone. It might not be farmed, but it's like, it might be a pet scenario. Um, they have you know, a couple of hives in their garden. And you have um, competition between the two, obviously. Uh, the honeybee is far more numerous, You know, tens of thousands of bees, whereas the wild bees might only be you know very small colonies 30, 100 couple of hundred um, because of the way that they forage and store so the the reason why we've exploited the honey bee that we use is because she will go out and collect loads and loads of nectar make loads of honey store far more than she needs and then come back to that store in the winter because they all rely on each other's warmth to survive through the winter but like um, penguins huddling, you know, taking a turn on the outside. When it's really cold, they'll all create a cluster and then that will, they'll sort of maintain their own temperature f- through, you know, their numbers. Whereas the wild bees, they'll sack off the colony in the autumn and just the queens will hibernate. So that's why you'll find, you know, what looks like a dead, big, really large bumblebee. Uh, in your shoes or your, I mean, under your plant pot or something. And that's why they don't need so much honey and, you know... Right, because only the queen survives. Uh, yeah. All the others die. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Yeah. And then she lays eggs. She'll then in- start laying, she'll collect pollen and make a little ball of pollen and then she'll lay an egg next to it and kind of encapsulate it in a little sort of cocoon almost, depending on the species. Okay. And then when it hatches, it will sort of squirm around a bit like an egg really at that point, you know, with its yolk and it'll consume the pollen, which is the protein. And then that will that that's how they'll start getting the numbers up. And then you know. Yeah. And there's also a crazy thing with bees where they um the queens store the semen that they need for their entire life and they can decide whether they lay a fertilized or an unfertilized egg and, and bees are bizarre in that A male bee has half the chromosomes, so it's a haploid individual. And the females, because they're fertilised, have two sets of chromosomes from the mother and the father, effectively, and they end up being diploid, so they have twice as many chromosomes. Right. Bonkers. It It is. So um, the queen can lay males, so she can lay a few workers, females, all the workers are females, to help her build the nest up. And then when they start laying males, that's when there's enough females around of a certain age that they will start to be able to fly. And then when they all reach sexual maturity, the females can be mated that are going to be carried forth to be queens for the next year. And then that's how you'll get the queens. The other females won't mate and they'll just die in the winter. It's just...
0: Absolutely insane! Yeah, it's it really
1: weird. It's such a strange bees. Are, well, all insects occupy such a weird niche. Yeah, in between what we see and what we know.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, well, and this is why I love having these conversations <laughs> because people don't know. So the queen can decide whether it wants to lay a, or, or have a, a male or a female, depending yeah. on
1: what job is required in yeah, the hive, basically, or going yeah, and the sort of health and stores of the colony. Amazing! I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. this, and the same happens in the in the with the honeybees, but it's just managed differently, right? And and, and predominantly
0: that's because yeah, and they can store so much so much mm. food for the winter, and therefore thousands of them can stay alive yeah. and and, yeah. and eat through the winter. So you can see why they dominate them basically. I yeah, suppose. yeah, you want, I mean, you'd have to have a heck
1: of a lot of um, of uh, honeybees that were bumblebees, effectively the big fuzzies that you see, because. Um, you have to extract that. There's in uh, Mexico they actually do. I think they call them sweat bees, but they're like a bumblebee, basically, but smaller. And they have the they they make a nest in a box or you know a cavity of some sort, and they then they look like little bunches, almost of grapes um, with the tops cut off, like little sacks, you know, with like a bag with the top rolled over to give it a rim, and they all secrete the honey into these little pots and they're and the, the way they actually harvest the honey over there is they suck the honey out of these tiny little pots to collect the honey that's for our consumption for, for human consumption how yeah. how, how do I you get it's bonkers now they use a little syringe but obviously back in the day i guess they'd just use a straw you know like a bit of straw grass <laughs> or something and then just literally sucked it up out of the little that's pots, got to
0: be quite a time-consuming process. Does that time. make
1: honey about $200 a kilo? Or something? Yeah, it's, I mean, well, it's obviously no one values agriculture, so it's not worth anything, I shouldn't think. But it's, yeah, locally it's priced because wow. people know how much work has gone into it. But That's amazing. Some, you know, someone over here would look at it and say, oh, it's never worth that much. I can get it for yeah. £2 yeah. in the supermarket, you know. Yeah, yeah, Little do they know it's being <laughs> exactly. sucked out of a
0: little pollen case by a human Same being. Same
1: craziness with uh, royal jelly, too. Royal yeah. jelly is like you have these monks and little with like backpacks on, with little vacuums in them, going around just sh- 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 sucking the royal jelly out of the cells, and then they get like about probably four mil per time. What do they do with that? Well, people make it into creams and put on their face. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is the royal jelly
0: the bit? This is important. Oh, this is one of my questions for later, but now you've mentioned Sorry. it, is this is this something to do with the queen and yeah. how, how so, you can? If, if... So
1: um the queen is the direct sister of all the workers, so she's. Exactly the same. which not exactly, obviously, because might be, say, like 20 different father figures that are absent because they're dead. Because once they're, mate, once they're mated, it rips the genitals out and they die. Nice. Oh, um, just throw that out there. Just casually. Kind of yeah, shy. sorry. <laughs> um, so there, there might be, like, sort of 20 sets of male goings on. And so the, there'll be that much variation of sisterhood that, because, obviously, they're only the mated that are female. And the queens if they decide they're going to make a queen they'll inundate the baby bee at egg phase with royal jelly so she has just like the ultimate nutrition and that's the only thing that makes her different that then makes her ovaries it kicks her ovaries into gear and then she has all of the instincts to mate and you know uh, sort of head another hive wow so the queen the only the queen can make the royal jelly no, no, no. That's that the queen lays the eggs. Yeah. That's all she does. She is just a slave. She is in no way uh the like Okay. The, so it sounded the, like a nice the gig queen. queen yeah. But actually, she is that's not. she is their egg slave and right. they herd her around feeding her or not feeding her depending on what they want her to do oh wow that puts a whole different
0: slant on it i thought they were like the boss
1: but yeah not at uh, all no egg slave isn't egg-slaged. as nice as queen no sorry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should have run that past you um <laughs> uh, yeah so she just lays the eggs and the the workers will through the level of pheromones partly well so we call it i mean it was long for a long time called queen pheromone and i haven't read up enough on the most recent sort of views on it but basically I think it's probably more to do with the level of brood that's open so uh, gosh I need to go off another tangent okay? probably. <laughs> please do the brood so you have the life cycle oh gosh the life cycle of a bee <laughs> so a, a queen lays an egg we discussed that it's either fertiliser or it's not then in a few days time the egg which looks like a grain of rice but in miniature flops over onto its side and hatches into like a larva, which at that point looks like a, a maggot really and for the first sort of few days has just enough royal jelly to sustain it and then it will pupate several times so it turns sort of into more like we're familiar with it kind of goes from being a grub to having sort of these purple eyes on it and then it starts to actually look like a bee but still translucent and then they'll cap the cell over while it's pupating and the thing that the, the the pupa that's in the cell weaves these little cocoons and does all its thing and sheds all these layers, and then when it hatches, it's sort of really fuzzy, but its exoskeleton is basically firm and complete, and that is the point when it's really a bee. And so the feeding of the royal jelly stops for the rest of the population of workers after about three days, but the royal jelly given to a queen is, is like ad lib so it can eat as much as she wants and and there'll be some left over at the end wow and the lack of, of decent nutrition basically stops the ovaries working of the normal bees there's also some suppression with going on with the pheromones that the active queen does release but depend if there's lots of open brew that's all about to be sealed then there's going to be a sort of a log jam situation where they run out of space. And unless beekeepers do something about that, that would be the point of when they would swarm. So when they start to sense what would be naturally coming to like a, a full hive scenario, um, that's when they'll swarm and, and and create another colony of bees. Bees are like Bees individually are like cells that specialize, you know, then like we have hair and skin and eyes and, you know, stuff that regenerates. I cannot say our eyes regenerate entirely, but you know what I mean? The cells of yeah. them. Um, and a colony of bees is like a human, so it's like a whole animal, you know, so all the different specialisms of the different organs. Right. And once that box reaches like, bing, it's done, then that's the point when they all say, "Right, we can. We've we've done our job here. We can move on and start another colony." And that's like reproduction. So they reproduce on two levels. They reproduce yeah. like our sort of cells reproduce, but they also reproduce like we reproduce, sort of you know sexually. So they have this need to know when they need to kick that into gear, and they have different cues. Some of them are pheromones, and some of them are space, and some of them are kind of a mashup of the two. And once they reach that point, then they'll start starving the queen and then they'll start feeding up a future queen. And once that queen is sealed, the existing queen will fly off with sort of, probably less than a quarter a fifth or so of the bees that are there working for her and start another colony. And then the queens that are left behind will hatch, fight to the death. And the one remaining one will be the next (laughs) ex-slave. That's just bonkers,
0: isn't yeah, it? Yes. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. I, how the hell do we know all this? We've been studying them for a while, I take it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the early stuff was with the clergy to thank because um, they you know, had the time to sort of sit around and ponder these things. <laughs> um, and all through time as well, everybody's tried to like bend bees' industriousness or their sort of apparent hierarchies to their uh, political or Theological wow. way, you know, yeah. it's like either they're all workers, look how good yeah. these workers are, or they're all like, oh, no, this is the monarchy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But actually, obvious. it's like women totally ruling a roost because the females run the whole system and the males are only brought onto the scene <laughs> when the queens need um, to be mated. And as soon as the, the outside situation changes and there's not enough feed or... Um, it gets towards the end of the season. The women just rip the legs and wings off the blokes and chuck them out to die. Really? That's yeah. it. Just is gone. It? Game over. No, no. There is no sentimentality at all. That's interesting as well, isn't it? Yeah. So they work so well together. Yeah. yeah no. They no. just tolerate the males for as long yeah. as they need to, and then they just <laughs> they just push them out the I kind door. I think
0: that's not entirely different, is it? I don't know. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, well, I think really it's perfect.
1: I think it's just the way it is. You know, like I think we we I think if if, if bees could make the decisions that we have, that's why they'd end up with a patriarchy. So, like, Christ, <laughs> so scared, of it's, like, yeah. not being necessary for that shenanigans. <laughs> Excellent, I love it. So, <clears throat> I may come back to
0: some some geeky bee questions later, because okay, we jumped ahead a little bit, but yeah, before sorry. we do... No, 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 it's brilliant. I, 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 I've said to you before, again, I just love the fact that, you know, somebody specialises in everything, and I find them all fascinating, so it's brilliant. But the, the key reason, I guess, we all see bees in the press is this constant kind of like, you know, there's not enough bees, there's a destruction of, of, of colonies mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And then it's this kind of uh, the impact of that. And, and that headline starts with, you know, kind of no bees, no food, no human race at that level of extreme all yeah, the way yeah. down to, or they, they, they're quite pretty and they look nice in the orchards. Yeah, sure. What's, what, you know, why are bees so important? And is it, is it the, the honeybees? Because it sounds like they dominate. But,
1: it's this crazy dance, really. So you've got plants wanting to reproduce and bees wanting to sustain themselves and plants evolved to produce nectar in order to bring, well, plants that need to produce, reproduce with crossbreeding sexually, like that aren't triploid themselves, that can't reproduce without needing extra genetic material uh, for fear of mutation, Uh, they have learned to lure bees in, so you have different I mean, you think some things, you know, people hate wasps, for example, but wasps specifically pollinate certain things and bees specifically pollinate certain things. You know, grasses and what have you don't, they're all wind pollinated and certain trees are wind pollinated, but there are a lot of things that we eat that taste nice, i.e. not grass, um, that needs pollination. So the plants learned that if they secreted something sweet, they'd attract insects, not just bees, you know, all sorts of insects. Uh, and then they'll get the pollen stuck on their backs and their legs. Um, as it happens the pollen is also a great, uh, protein source, which is, you know, well, there's a confusion. People think that honey is made from pollen, but it's cause that's what you see on the bees legs, but it's the nectar that they make the honey from. Um, they will then take that back. And in doing so they'll, they'll visit lots and lots of plants. So they'll spread the pollen about, and that's the weird dance that's evolved over millions of years. Um, and we've stepped into that and thought we can dominate the system, and all we ever seem to do is just make, get it wrong because we don't look at the system close enough. We just see where we can get the quickest buck out of it, sadly. And I don't want to sound like I'm you know, <laughs> some sort of green zealot. Yeah. I mean, I am obviously, but um, uh, yeah, it, you know that's why the pollination is so important, and diversity is really important too you know, if you just keep bees and feed them where I was before in a more of an arable co- context, I had access to big fields of all-seed rape, which was great. You made loads of honey and everyone really loved it despite what beekeepers think. Um, and it would sell really well. But the bees would end up having just eaten one thing for ages. I mean, like, if you eat anything for ages on its own, even if it's really good for you, it will still, you know, make you deficient somewhere else. So... um, it's just funny how that, like, special how we've specialized on certain things and honed in on one or two species, varieties of crops, uh, and everybody needs to you know we need diversity to maintain bio- food, you know food security, and we also need diversity to maintain the security of the ecosystem around us because you know the bees on their own if they just have the one type of food, they're going to starve or become deficient in things. And the same with us, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we, if we use the bees, then we're just shuffling ourselves, really. Yeah. No. <laughs> End uh, of the day. And, and, and so bees aren't the only pollinator, there's lots of
0: insects yeah. that pollinate. Yeah. Is the, the issue that we're seeing in, you know partly through monoculture, or pesticides, whatever it
1: might be, and we might come to those, uh, is it affecting all pollinators? So what it is, is like, we have come to depend on just a few things a lot. So say like take almonds, for example we've put a lot of energy into farming a few varieties of one crop in one way, in one space. And we've become very dependent on that thing. Yeah, you know, there are other things that we come become very dependent on as one type of food. And before we'd have just eaten locally that food where we when we had it and we'd have stored it if we could, if we had a surplus. But now we bring it in from all over the world and we we I mean, which I'm not saying is a bad thing it's just globalisation it's just the way it is I mean yeah okay some people would say it's a bad thing but anyway um, by doing so we've ended up putting constant pressure on the system all the time like when it wouldn't be under pressure normally so you know the bees would sort of come along and they'd pollinate. So, so in this country you'd have they'd wake up they'd have you know they'd feed on some early nectar and pollen get their cells going and then you'd have say so the orchards would kick in and then that that kind of be the natural time to start and they'd store a bit of, bit of extra for themselves and then there's a bit of a lull and you'll have the hedgerows will start coming to life and then you know maybe before that you might have had some flowering crops and then you'll have that yeah, know arably and then you'll have some clovers and stuff kicking in and then you've got your brambles and you know there's all and all through that you've got all the trees and there's sort of like a constant just a background but the way that we farm stuff and i'm not saying we you know there's no real way around it with the way that we farm so it's all intense all the time so we want the bees to be like smashing out of the park for the almonds we want them to smash out of the park for the um for the blueberries for the you know for apricots for the soft fruit, for the beans for the apples for the plums the pears you name it and that's not how it works. You know, we're just like turbocharging everything, we've got our foot flat on the floor all the time. And that just, you know, we burn out, they burn yeah. out, everything burns out, the soil burns out, you know, it's yeah. just
0: like... Yeah, no, absolutely. And are they is there an alternative way of pollinating these things? You you have to have the bees and the pollinators <laughs> to do this, presumably. Yeah, you there's do no colour. Really, yeah. no I mean, they've,
1: they've had major cock ups in parts of the world where they've ended up having a hand pollinate and it's pretty labour intensive. Right. Yeah, super, super labour intensive. Yeah, and you hand pollinate for um, specific breeding programs, and it's not something you want to do a lot. Yeah, yeah. If you want to do, if you want to create a new, you know, variety of apple, you take two parents and control the, you know, the fertilisation, collect the pollen from one and stick it on the other, and vice versa type thing. Uh, but we don't really have... You can't really do it on a, on a commercial scale. Right.
0: And do you need these annually? We're sat in the middle of an, an apple orchard, I suppose, isn't it? Are the yeah, bees involved context. in this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they, uh, are they involved on an annual basis yeah. to do this then? Yeah, yeah So yeah, what yeah. happens to
1: your orchard if there's no bees? Well, you just get less fruit. Um, if you get an apple, sometimes it's got like a weird sort of deformation into it, so it's has like a big concave area on it. Or if you have... Um, uh, I mean, okay, this tangent alert, but the, so... um I do a lot of those in this uh, podcast, you carry on. <laughs> um, uh, with um, sweet corn, you know, when you get, like, uh, sweet corns would not pollinated, is what I say it's a tangent, but you get bits where there aren't any corn on the cob. That's where you haven't got ideal pollination. So if you have soft fruit, like, say, uh, raspberries, and you know, you just get half of it, and then you've got the core in the middle, mm-hmm. it's because it wasn't pollinated properly. Right. So same with apples. I mean, uh, with pears, I've, I've had pears before that, have just hardly anything and then you bring you bring bees into the equation and whether that's by improving the habitat and having natural bees because they work much harder than the honeybees at pollination because the the game is real more important for them so you know our bees they've got a nice warm box to live in whereas when all that stuff's kicking off in you know in the seasons the, that's when the wild honeybee the uh, bumblebees are totally desperate to have all the pollen all the protein that they can get because they're trying to increase their numbers from nothing so you have some things that just don't what just won't fruit i've had varieties of pear before that just were gonna was gonna rip out because these are rubbish and you've brought bees into the equation and they just start fruiting properly and more consistently okay because in my
0: naive head i suppose i'm thinking uh bee goes along you know and and yeah, I suppose, no, it is a cross-pollination. I'm kind of thinking it's important for new plants, but it's literally... So it, I don't know how many apple trees you got out our window here. It's about uh, 1,500. 1,500? 1, yeah. And, and does every apple need to be pollinated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, unless you have a
1: triploid, right? Some, like, uh, um, brown leaves are triploid, so they're self-fertile. So right. they can, like, just be, you know, the wind tapping the branches together and they okay. can... as a certain amount of cross-pollination because there's, there's three different sets of information so you only yep. need two to get, <laughs> to, get right. to hit the jackpot did you say you said 1500 trees yeah it's just yeah. dawned on me how many that is and yeah each
0: one has got how many apples do you get on a tree Well, probably
1: about 120 kilos per tree
0: wow and every one of those apples has got had a, a visit from a pollinator of some yeah, sort yeah every
1: apple would need to be pollinated yeah bloody hell so, that's why there's 50, yeah. bees. in bees so in a crop of say something like beans um that i used to combine well, I used to stick the bees out, but obviously you don't want to drive right into the middle of the field for the bees to put them down because you're crushing the crop. But um, you could see a, a big semicircle or even a circle, kind of like a, you know, a shadow, like sort of this umbral, around the beehives. And the header would literally fill up faster as you drove into that crop and you would had to slow the combine down. And then as you got further away from the hives, it would thin back out again. And you'd have these sort of like, you know, sort of, Circles of, you know, productivity and fertility coming away from the beehives, and then as you've got further away, bees are lazy as well, like us. You know, as much as it's a busy bee, and they'll fly three kilometers. Yeah, they're gonna fly fly three kilometers. They won't have anything left by the time they fly back. Right. You know, there's no any storage done there, so they just go as close as they can to get what they need. Okay, um, and, and so yeah, we have to spread the bees out through the through the orchards. Yeah, move yeah, move them around. Yeah. And how serious then,
0: I, I get the seriousness as if we don't have them, clearly. That yeah. sounds disastrous. I couldn't imagine going around uh, 1,500 trees with a little syringe or whatever. Or a, <laughs> a little, like in a in every. little
1: brush, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, it sounds quite labour intensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to need a lot of kids, aren't you, to, uh, yeah. to pull that off? Yeah. Um, and, and how serious is the problem? Uh, you know, like Where are we at in this? Are we, is, it, is it kind of like you know, global warming? And this might be we're 50 years away. We're it's right like, in the thick of
1: it. I think we are, we are in the thick of it. And I think that it's really hard to know whether we'll just become more realistic about it and work it out and plan our consumption to be more sustainable or whether we'll just manage to keep finding fixes to keep on going through. But, you know, we're kind of like bees are in a, are in a bit of a perfect storm. And it, as we've seen uh, in previous years... You know, you can have major setbacks. We've had years when we've lost sort of upwards of 50% of our stock over winter. Why? There's just not enough money put into it to really know why. Right. You know, like in the States where they've got big, high-value crops, massive acreages, they are interested and they're researching. But over here, I mean, I've spoken to farmers before at, you know, agricultural things, sort of you know seminars and things but didn't even realize some of the crops that they were growing were insect pollinated no so and i'm not trying to be like derogatory about it i'm not saying i should have known but i'm just saying there is a disconnect over here yeah,
0: well, uh, and I, I, you know, I don't think there's any excuse as a farmer, isn't there? Obviously, I have that disconnect in not fully appreciating it. But then I went to a uh, a butcher the other day. I was at a trade show, and it was a local produce trade show. And one of the butchers came up to me. I've got restaurants, and he said, uh, you know, are you interested in a, in a new supplier? And my first question to him was, what, what do your cows eat? and he looked at, me, looked at me like I was bonkers and he said I've been doing this for 12 years and nobody's ever asked me what my cows eat and I was like really I was like that's an absolute start point for me and he's yeah, like don't yeah, you yeah. want a price list and I said I don't want a price list until I know what your cows eat yeah, I was like are yeah. they eating grass are they eating grain you know you keep yeah. them in barns and he's like wow nobody's ever asked he said I'd have to phone someone and find out what the cows eat and I was like <laughs> That seems a bit depressing. Yeah. So, and that's somebody in the trade. So, yeah, you know, I imagine yeah, yeah if, if a farmer who doesn't know that it's um, insect pollinated. So, what what other things? Are, so, we, we've got this issue that we're working them too hard, and we've got this monoculture thing, and we've got nutrition. What are the other things that are affecting it? Is it is it right around this kind of pesticide, pesticide fertilizer? Yeah, there's, what there's what there's things de- do we know
1: are having an impact? There's definitely effects. So, I mean, I am in quite a novel situation where I've both grown the crops and kept the bees and. I appreciate that the seed dressings, the neonicotinoid-based seed dressings are like a major step forward in that you aren't having to spray as many times. So in theory, it should be great. You're not putting all these chemicals into the environment and killing stuff sort of on a blanket basis. Uh, It's not kind of like a mass wipeout situation, but the damage that it does um, you know there are papers that say it is and isn't the problem, but uh, we've got figures that go back to uh, There's a tangent I try and keep myself as much on on the page as possible but say my uncle used to keep bees on our farm and uh we when I started keeping bees um uh, he was the catalyst to that um we looked back at his records and we were saying, you know, look how much more honey you used to get from the oilseed rape and from the things like linseed. Um, isn't that weird? And so I went to speak to, the, uh, to a couple of seed reps and say, look, can I get hold of these old varieties that we used to grow? What do we used to grow? So I looked back through the records. And I'm like, oh, these, you know, it's weird. He's like, well, it's the same varieties really. That hasn't changed. So well, what's changed in that time then? So the seed dressings have changed, and this was before it all blew up, really. So I've got to ask at this point: what's a seed dressing? Oh, so I'm a seed a bit dressing, of olive is, oil and some salt and the bottom. Yeah, 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 but it's you're not as you're nice pre- as that. That, aren't you? Yeah, so it's like a, it's sort of like a, a, a painty substance with. Uh, a solution, of suspension of um, like toxic bits. So There'd be something to make the seed bitter, so that birds don't want to eat them. <laughs> Full disclosure here. Sorry, <laughs> there, there are. Um, There'll be stuff in there to stop the thing rot the seeds rotting in the ground. There'll be um just to give the seed the best possible start in the ground, because you're doing it on such a massive scale and you don't, you're not you can't tend to it like you would in a garden or an allotment. So um the seed dressing is applied to the seed before it's sown into the ground, into the soil. Um and this particular one, this neonic, it like once it goes into the soil, the the, um, the soil kind of the, picks up through the moisture, picks up this, uh, this ingredient and creates sort of like a halo effect around the seed. And then when it grows and draws it, just starts drawing the nutrients from the soil back up into the stem of the plant, the plant then becomes like some sort of, you know, DC comic, superhero where it's it's imbibed this magical chemical and anything that bites it gets a lethal dose of the chemical. Holy it's shit. A it's a systemic like, is this proper science fiction. It's stuff, a, yeah, it's a system. systemic uh insecticide. Wow. Basically. And so before we didn't have that. Before how long have we been using this as early nineties. Yeah. And and so I had this conversation with this guy and he just totally candidly just explained this change and and I didn't know about it and I didn't know I was putting it on for years we carried on spraying for for the beetles that used to eat the pollen and for the blooming aphids that used to eat the crop totally unnecessarily so we're like double dosing so okay right let's so we took a uh, 75 acres of the farmer on out of uh, conventional convert it to organic and planted various things and yeah, and this is, and well, I'd swear on that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine, someone he calls the Bullshit Factor, and he he's a beekeeper, and he said, uh, "Oh, you know, uh, even if you're getting fifty percent of what you say you're getting, which is the bullshit factor, then you know that's amazing." So we planted ten acre paddocks uh, of forage for bees, just for the bees, um, initially, and in the first single flowering of the 10 acres of about 70 acres I think we made so much honey that we paid for all of the ground preparations for the whole acreage all of the seed that we'd bought and some of the mechanical expenses in the first crop that single paddock flowered three times and there were four other paddocks like it
0: uh, so it, it flowered better than we put all that shit on the seed. It it's the, the same. <laughs> it
1: flowered the same. The mix, that particular mix, was a nitrogen fixing mix. And then the following year, we we uh, cut it for silage and it yielded. The, the ground was rubbish. It had been like wholesale. The Green Revolution had, had shot its load and totally, you know, passed it by. It was. the soil was like just just rubbish and the equivalent improvement in yield was probably about equivalent to probably about 150 170 kilograms of nitrogen that would have been applied but obviously there was no no nitrogen applied because it was all just come up through the roots and the the crops were so rich as well that the rumen digestible protein which is effectively nitrogen that remained in the but in the like stems of the crop, which was harvested and then made into silage, was as high as the dairy cake that people buy in and feed their cows that are milking. It's, it just feels like a, a yeah, and like bonkers. I say this, and everybody just thinks that guy's smoking too much, yeah. you know, or he's got to lay off that you know, whatever it is he's on because he right. can't be talking sense, but really that. Sort of. So we we were trying to work. I was trying to work my way into having a rotation that worked arably that would fix enough nitrogen to be able to follow it with a crop that would not fix its own nitrogen need nitrogen to grow, like wheat or barley, um, and then uh, kind of work that across. We tried. We tried loads of different things, sunflowers and buckwheat and the sunflowers were a, were a complete nightmare. The buckwheat was amazing but it was so far ahead of the curve no one even knew what buckwheat was even flipping like Hobbendords and dubs and people like that who are now selling it, you know, mm-hmm. were like, what What are you talking about? I'm like, it's, it's French, it's sarazan, it's this thing, forget it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and they, yeah, it worked, it worked really well and so taking away that the dressing and everything. Uh, you just had to work, we had to work a different way around it.
0: So you've done this on a very micro level. Yeah. You've told a few yeah, people. Uh, yeah. has, it, has it been, has anyone else gone, oh, maybe he's not bonkers, we should try it? Or not is this really, still no. A few British. people have
1: sort of thought about it. <laughs> no, I, you know, I've talking to various people on different levels about it. No one seems that interested. No. Once. But that's the thing, you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about with the intensity. Everybody's worried about losing a little bit um, and the you know the throttle is still flat on that.
0: Yeah, we're t- we're on this
1: treadmill. Yeah, of, uh,
0: and, and probably the fear factor. But uh, yeah, there's a 10 acres, I suppose you're n- you're not yeah. taking a huge amount of risk. Yeah, no, we had
1: like five eight five ten acre paddocks or something that we're all... right. So
0: you could take the punt if, if it feels. I don't know. There's there's a few you I mean, I mean, I was chatting to Geising Watson a couple of months ago. I suppose down at Riverford Organics about yeah, what yeah. they were trying to do. And there's some there's some good stuff in organics, and there's some bad stuff. Yeah organics going on and what that label means yeah I it guess. doesn't mean much to me anymore but yeah. yeah well it seems I remember one of the points he made was in in, in the sterilisation of soil And, and uh, if you can
1: buy pork organically mm. doesn't mean anything no you know to grow pork on a scale that's financially viable it's not humane it's not sustainable that's yeah. what organic's about to me you know yeah. it's got to be it's got to be sustainable in the long term yeah. it's got to be affordable for the environment not just for us Mm. if you can buy affordable pork in a supermarket and call it organic phew yeah.
0: Whatever. Yeah, and I think that's probably the, the complication I guess is around what does organic mean, isn't it? Does mm. organic mean no pesticides and yeah. fertilizers? Or does organic mean it's sustainable from an environmental perspective, I suppose. It's nuanced, though, it, it is nuanced, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to get you too angry too yeah. early on this. Yeah, yeah. We've still got a few things but to yeah, talk anyway,
1: about. Yeah, so. but that's Okay, so mm, so that's one of the reasons is this you probably didn't this... answer your question at No, you though. did,
0: no. I, it was my question, if you can remember it was forty eight <laughs> minutes ago. I'm just kidding, it was um was yeah, what what else is it impacting the bees? Uh, right. and, and the yeah. other pollinators yeah. so one of the things is is potentially not even just the stuff we're spraying but this kind of seed yeah. dressing which is fascinating
1: nutrition's a big issue
0: yeah so it's, which which I guess is what that is basically yeah. what, what's the bee eating it's either eating a monoculture so it's eating too much of the same thing or it's eating something that fundamentally has got some sort <laughs> <Yeah>. of weird <laughs> I bedroom. mean what they were saying about
1: the stuff was that the lethal dose for a bee is, is really high compared to the application rate but there are two buts with that is that Bees concentrate nectar to make honey. Yes. You know, like it's 15% moisture when it's in a jar. So it's as dry as the wood that this microphone sat on. But the moisture when it, when it comes in is probably something like 90%. Right. So they're concentrating the chemical down. Okay. And also, um, the, it's all they're eating. So if, they're eating, if you're eating a small amount of poison over a long time, it's still going to do you in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like really lead and being, arsenic,
0: you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. We'll it it's not lethal in bees. is isn't really a selling point. It's not lethal, no. so they're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they Doesn't might be producing... Right. Yeah. Brilliant. They might be producing 10% of the honey and it might be crap. Yeah. Okay. And this is not just um, UK. This is a global issue wherever there's presumably industrial farming yeah, techniques. Yeah, I, I guess so, yeah. 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 But there must also be parts of the world, I suppose. I mean, if you go into, I'm trying to think of, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's the Amazon or parts of uh, oh, yeah. massive yeah. you know, European, you know, there's still honeybees out there, presumably doing their thing, not yeah. impacted by humans.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Like, you yeah, know, like you see these wild colonies in Nepal and sort of more dry, stable uh, climates. Yep. Not obviously, the Nepal isn't an example of that, but that's the niche, the bee finding the niche. But yeah, and, and they just make honey and breed and where where we used to be the climate as I would say slightly different. And I never had a problem getting queens mated. So once they'd gone through all the gubbins and worked out they're gonna have a queen, the queen then flies and has to mate and return. And never really had a problem with that. Even with the near next stuff going on. And uh when we moved here, we just we, we came here with two hundred colonies and we just just fall We just couldn't keep the colony numbers up, just down, down, down every year. And We now actually use artificial insemination to an extent to manage the the, to sort of numbers, keep numbers up. Okay,
0: and you don't know why? Well, no, really, not really. Got your your theories, I'm sure. Do you think that might be because you? So, yeah, you now planting to try and uh, resolve that?
1: Yeah, we do, but uh, we we'd got to the point where that wasn't. We'd kind of by reducing the numbers, we realised it couldn't be that there was a lack of food because so few bees in the area that we knew would have supported more bees and still had a surplus that it had to be something else so we went down the route of looking into that and we actually found that lots and lots of the male were in the drones were infertile like really high percentage and I don't know why that is whether that's something that they're you know something they're picking up in the orchards or whether it's a chemical that we're uh, probably I'm putting on somewhere or whether it's further afield. I mean, it's across the board. We're not all on orchards.
0: Mm. Okay. And that was specific to this location rather than yeah, the didn't seem to have it in the other place. But you don't have 10 acres of buckwheat and flowering? No, rabbits, that's the so. thing. Yeah.
1: I mean, if we smashed the nutrition, then they probably, it'd be interesting to see that. We, we've done experiments with feeding them, you know, retaining pollen from other areas and feeding it to them and seeing whether that affected their uh, drone fertility and we've tried like excluding them from certain things and, yeah, right.
0: <laughs> it's literally a lie. Yeah, the
1: varroa is a big factor. The the when we changed our varroa treatment plan and so what's varroa? Uh, varroa is like a little looks like under the microscope it looks like a crab, like a little you know sort of oval disc with legs come out the side. Nasty uh, bites the back of the gets on the back of the bee and bites under the exoskeleton and sucks its juices out. Basically, feeds on it and they tend to attack the males more because they they pupate for longer so they're in their you know their, their life cycle takes a little bit longer. Um again, another male scenario. It's yeah, <laughs> taking not, longer to develop. I'm glad I'm not a male beef. Yeah. It. Um and so they get uh parasitized more heavily and that's a factor. So knocking them on head also helped, but it's still they're still way less fertile than you'd imagine they would be. And how do you control a varroa then? Um, With an acid that's already in the honey and you apply it when there isn't, in the sort of death, the periods when there isn't honey around Uh, and you vaporize this acid up through the colony and it it rots the mouthpiece of the varroa off. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's pretty crazy as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. So how many hives have you got here
1: now then? Only probably about 60 or so. Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. and and then you've got an orchard and, yeah and and the the orchard is to feed the bees predominantly
1: or no the i mean the orchard's just like a part of the cycle really i think that's the other thing that farming needs to be is more of a cycle more cycle based yeah. like you know understanding that there are you can make little bits of money all through the year and just keep yourself afloat like that or even thrive and not have to just be like hammer and tongs at it for like really intense periods, yeah. working sort of through the night to get things done. You know, we have the bees make a bit of honey and we sell some bees as well. And we sell some queens and the apples. then we sell some apples and we press the juice from the apples and we sell some of that. And then we keep selling, and sell that as cider. And it's sort of like a cycle that everything fits in together. And then, you know, the bees, as well as the honey that we sell, they also make wax that we then make into other products. And it's all about that maximizing the return from what you have, not just saying growing something that no one wants to start with, and then whinging that no one wants to buy it, yeah. and then not making enough margin on it anyway. Yeah. Why would you do that? I don't know. Yeah,
0: it, and, and it seems to be a vicious cycle, doesn't it? And yeah. then it all becomes, um, I've, I've mentioned this book a, a few times, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Have you read that? Yeah, it. It, yeah. And, uh, and he talks a lot about that, but it's it's come up on on the podcast uh, historically. So, um, so moving then to well, it's been, you know, possibly not a solution, but I suppose going back to the to reason wanting to do the podcast is, and this is this is perfect because we we have all this information. You read these kind of headlines, so it, it's true. It is an issue. A lot of people want to help. You you sometimes go to these little events in the National Trust, or somebody will do something where they give out these little sort of packets of seeds, I yeah, suppose, yeah, to chuck yeah, in your garden. Much. Is it is it you know? Can the can the homeowner who who chucks a few extra um, plants that are attractive to bees and other pollinators in their garden is that
1: is that worthwhile? It's about all of that. It's about everybody having more uh, more variety for longer. Not we had a lovely site in a village by the sea, not too close to the sea, but not close enough. And the people that that garden it was. They were lovely, and they used to look after us, and they used to be really interested in the bees. But one of their neighbours, every year for about four years, killed all of the bees in one day, spraying their roses. Really? And we just had to give up the site because, wow. you know, why would you keep doing that? Yeah, you know, the first couple of times, we're like, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, and then it's just like, look, we can't keep doing this. Yeah. These bees, you know, they're valuable yeah. to us. And if they're dead, let alone not just not producing, then they're not valuable to us. Yeah. End of. (laughs) So, you know, start spraying your sodding roses. Leave your blooming dandelions around. Leave areas of the place unkept. You know, that's habitat. Right. (laughs) It's not just for us to look at. Yeah. We're not like soul flipping. Yeah. It's not all about us basically. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then there there seems to have been a bit of a i, I say growth, you know. I know I know a couple of I've olives I was chatting to Giles. This was quite a long time ago now, but he had a couple of bee hives outside of his window. And then yeah. you see sort of more people maybe butt hives on on roofs. Um is that helpful bringing bringing
1: hives into the into it's the It's helpful. Towns it's helpful uh because bees are an amazing way of connecting people to the environment more broadly. And once you and I was like a proper dyed in the wool outcast, stoner sort of style farmer. You know, everybody looked at me and were like, oh, God, he's got long hair and he wears skate clothes (laughs) and he's got a half pipe in his barn. What an idiot, you know. He's always tracked as a manky and he doesn't, you know. (laughs) And I got these bees and it was like flipping, sticking my feet. It's like walking around barefoot all the time, you know. Just all of a sudden I'm looking at what's flowering you know guys this soil got enough moisture in it for there to be nectar in the you know actual flowers when it when they when they start to blossom you know all these different interconnections suddenly became like really in focus and that was kind of that is the best bit about bees you know if that if you can get people stoked on the importance of the whole system then you know, that would be the answer. But downside is that bees are just another form of intensive agriculture. You know, you might have fifty, sixty thousand bees in a colony in the middle of the summer and they are just gonna pillage the entire area and all your natural, naturally occurring bumblebees and, you know, solitary bees are just gonna be pushed out to the margins. Right. Yeah, and we need to encourage them. And as they're well, the so. ones that work the hardest and have the longest season and are, you know, more naturally important because they, they fulfil more niches. Okay. Yeah, classic, like, sorry, tangent. So, so, so the honeybees, they'll cheat sometimes and they'll just rip a hole in the bottom of the flower to get to the nectary and suck the nectar out that way. Whereas the right insect to pollinate that plant will have the right length tongue or the right, landing apparatus to get on the flower and get in there and get the nectar and the pollen and dose of pollen around whereas the bee are just ripping the bottom tear a hole in the side like a vandal yeah. and have off worth the nectar and right.
0: off yeah. you know there you go see it gets it gets more and more complicated so fundamentally plant your gardens with lots of cool flowers yeah don't yeah. spray your roses mm. and actually maybe don't don't bring more bees in, in the fact what you really yeah, want just, is to attract those local you, bees yeah
1: and uh, we're the neighbouring orchards we're kind of we've got a, a bit of a project on trying to increase the natural pollinators by having more uh having a diversity of of flowers around for longer and that was one of the big pluses from the uh from the project we did before with the paddocks was just the whole ecosystem just went bananas you know we had all these all this extra nectar so you had millions of wild colonies of bees so much so that the badgers used to go around digging them out of the ground and we'd hit them with a mower and we'd come through to mow them and and and, you know we'd never noticed bees in the profusion in the ground you know making nests in the ground to the extent well ever on that farm I don't think I'd ever ever hit a bee colony that had been dug up by a badger out of the ground ever before on that farm and so with that came all of the birds that were eating them. You know, And I mean, the local wildlife ranger bloke, because there was a wildlife, uh, a Dorset wildlife thing opposite on the other side of the bank. And they used to sit there and have their lunch because they just were blown away at how how many different species there were and the the profusion of them. And just, you know, we huge murmurations of, you know, what have you, and just stuff you didn't see in such big numbers because there was just an abundance amazing you get an abundance nature all like us make yeah, hay weather well sunshine make it work
0: yeah Yeah. there was another movie I saw on that, that plane again that we were chatting about earlier <laughs> one was about bees and uh, Chloe when you're listening to this remind me to find the link. I can't remember what it was but it was, it was a farm in America and it was an orchard actually and, uh, and it had been completely decimated and there was just you know like a, a dusting of soil yeah, on yeah. top And they had an expert, you know, come in to kind of help them. And I think it was something like a seven-year plan to turn this kind of farm around. And and it was kind of like, ultimately, nature will sort it out. But in in that period where they were sort of, you know, making incremental changes, they'd get completely infested with uh, certain mites or or, or whatever it might be. There was a certain rodent, I think, that came in. And he, you know, this this kind of exercise was like, eventually, I guarantee you, you know, nature will find the balance. But but actually, to have the money and the resources and the balls and the time to go through the yeah, journey it takes was quite a lot of
1: balls. I had a lot, of stick, I got a lot of stick for what some of the weird stuff I did. Yeah. yeah, like I used to try and I used to leave strips of weeds in the middle because when you're planting uh, orchard, you have there are certain bugs that are, will completely destroy. Yeah. New trees in well, I mean, they'll set them back, they may not completely destroy them, but they'll make a massive impact within 24 hours. Yeah. And the orchards where there was low-level grass that didn't have the weeds growing up in it, you, know, you got really bad moth attack and really bad aphid attacks yeah. and different types of aphids. And the orchards where I used to let the big swaths of weeds grow up almost as high as the trees in the middles. None of that, no problems at all. But yeah. the amount of stick I used to have, my neighbours ringing me up, telling me they wanted to, me that I should mow it down. My flipping family was telling me I should mow it down. Random people that were driving by would just swear oh, at me really? in the road. <laughs> yeah, you know, to the point where I had to go and cut them down. And what do you know, dropping aphids really? straight Air in back.
0: There. Yeah. yeah. And now don't they say this is where this sort of yeah not monoculture diversification, let the sheep and the goats, isn't it, go into yeah, the orchards yeah. I and they eat the grass. We
1: have we have sheep in here, you have to be careful of that because they will then they learn that well, how good the trees are, they'll eat them too. Yeah. Scumbags.
0: Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know. yeah. well, like we say, nuance. Um, yeah. what was the trigger, do you remember when you first got interested? In, in bees, how does yeah, how did so this
1: start? it like, This is the story of my whole life really. It's just that I just fall from one thing to the next. My uncle, who was the one had the bees um in the first place, he'd booked to go on like a sort of refresher type course um with this couple who are really um you know, they're uh, sort of like big 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 wigs in the area. They've actually moved to Portugal now. And um they it was quite hard to get a place on the course. So he got the place on the course and he was chuffed about it. But anyway, he had a hip resurfacing operation and couldn't go. So he's like, but I don't want to waste the course, you go. And I was like, well, I don't know, I'm interested in bees to particularly. You know, I've got enough on my plate. Um, he's like, well, you know, it's an evening thing, just go. So I went. They were really miffed because, you know, like they were expecting... Doctor Dear do love to turn up this yeah, you know, they were like, oh yeah, this is gonna be great. And they got you and your skateboard. Yeah, they got me turning <laughs> up with my long hair and my flipping t-shirt and my flipping attitude. Little did they know. And they were super miffed. And uh that got me into sort of the just how weird and flipping bonkers bees are. And that was like in probably about I, know, I guess the winter of 2004 or five. And by that summer i had about 40 beehives wow i'm just like i'm just doing this wow that's amazing and then next year we started working out you know the sort of ins and outs of getting the um organic bit doing and that was by about 2007 or 8 or something like that we'd gone into conversion and um yeah so it was a pretty and then by that point we were sort of up to a couple of hundred colonies wow
0: would your uncle have done that if he'd gone on the course
1: no, no, he just wanted to, I mean, he travels, he's retired now and travels around, he doesn't even have any bees. <laughs> right, yeah. What, what was it on that evening then that, that just sparked that? Kind I don't of know, like, really. Like... I think just seeing that there was potential, that there was this, it's the like rapacious agrarian in me, you know, there was this bit of niche that we weren't taking the piss out of. And initially I was like, I can make some more money there. Right, You know, I've got arable farming's big peaks of labour. You have loads of work to cultivate the ground and drill it. And then, you know, once every sort of 10 days or something, you might go and have a bit of a spray around or put some fertiliser out. Uh, Different context, feed. Anyway, put some feed out for the the crops. And then, you, you know, loads of work at harvest time and then storing the grain and getting it out and that's it. And so there was a lot of time that I could see that the bees would fit in quite you know symbiotically with that and so yeah that's that was it and and then when i got them it just connected me to everything so much and i just sort of it was like when i compare it now i guess like i've got glasses on and and i haven't had glasses until we've got three years and the first set of glasses i got on and i'm like yeah I, I, as well as all the other random stuff i do i, I, I harvest timber and uh mill it and machine it and stuff and put these glasses on and I'm like Christ it's not just brown there's like a really interesting pattern in it and it was like that getting bees was like this eureka moment just like look at all these connections and this like you know I was already the, the kind of guy that you know while I was driving around I'd open the door and drag my arm through the soil to sort of see what it felt like type thing yeah. but there was just suddenly this just like oh my word you know like there were these fruit tree with this little orchard next to the house and there were these fruit trees that just never had fruit on them to the extent where i had never you know they were planted around the time i was born i'd never seen fruit on them to try the fruit even and it was just like bang there's this fruit everywhere and like oh my word really this bees has done this it's like yeah that's, that, that's exciting, it was such it? a Shock. I think you were going to say buzz then, but that would have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got to avoid. There's too many of them. <laughs>
0: okay, sorry. I did. wait yeah. I waited It's for all right. Them, we, it, get we get it, them. We get, get, get them all them the time. Miles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, I can see why that would be exciting. And I, I, I did a mushroom foraging uh, course with John Rinston, and uh, that was similar going into the forest yeah, from a clarity yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah, they exactly. Sort of sort of Getting your, exactly your like that. All, of all of a sudden,
1: it. you see potential.
0: You're like, this could
1: that could be food. Yeah <laughs> and
0: and you just wouldn't see it. you normally you walk yeah. you know, I go out, take my dog through the forest all the yeah, time Yeah, you yeah, know I love it but yeah. the difference in 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 the sort of level of presence when you were down you know looking under the under the leaves and under the logs and there was a whole world and a whole mm-hmm. ecosystem there yeah, what yeah. I learned about the mycelium mis- mis- mycelium mis- whatever it's called yeah. and mushrooms uh yeah it was just was just mind blowing so I can imagine so so the technicalities. is that if somebody wants to um to get a beehive Uh, or to get uh, this fundamentally starts you buy Mm. a a queen bee how does it actually work to set up a hive well like what
1: I tend to say to people is um, go and find your local beekeeping association or club whatever and see if you can deal with the intensity of that many flying insects hovering around your head and potentially trying to sting you Um, it's not for everybody and if you think that's your bag then uh, go on a, like an introduction like a, go. On. we do courses but there are loads of people that do courses like sort of an introductory course so you can spend an hour just pootling around sort of more one-on-one with a colony and, and somebody that sort of knows what they're doing and has got the equipment and then if you still think that's for you then you know you've got to buy the equipment you buy the box that the bees go in and, and all the gubbins and a suit and um Get some bees. Either some people collect swarms, and from other people's bees. And you can't just throw that out there. Some people collect a swarm, like <laughs> yeah. you just so when like, the bees. How do you do that? As we were talking earlier on, when the queens are set in their cells, and the rest of the colony is happy that they're going to be the future of that individual colony, the bees that are now homeless will fly around looking for a new cavity to fill with bees and start a new home. And so yes. they will sort of hang off of a branch or the side of a sign or a fence or whatever whilst the scout bees go away and find the new home. And in that time, you can come along with a box or a bucket or whatever and scoop the bees into it and then put them in your house. And as long as they've not been there too long to have decided that they're going to get a new spot because they have this mad system where it's like a digital accumulation. Uh, it's like a sort of a, se- a sensor scenario where the bees go away and measure these cavities and voids out for, to, for the perfect home. And then they'll come back, do a dance, a waggle dance, another random tangent. I haven't got time for that one right now <laughs> um, to say the location of this spot. It's like a figure of eight dance. I'm doing a figure of eight with my fingers. Um, <laughs> it's nice, it's a good move. Uh, they will then send more bees off to look at this site and the more bees that come back with the same figure of eight dance will uh, decide and then they'll reach a tripping point where they'll all that'll be enough there'll be enough of the mass of them have decided that that's where they're going to go and they'll go there and democratic yeah it is really democratic and if you don't move the colony far enough away from where they've decided it's going to be their new home and you have no way of knowing where that new home is going to be, then they'll go to that home anyway. So mm-hmm. you've got to get them before they've made the decision or take them sort of more than three kilometres away from where you does, are. Does that
0: waggle include the information as to where the location is or do they follow each
1: other? Direction and distance. No, really? Full on, accurate as you like. Seriously, yeah. like yeah. a GPS signal yeah. down the You can put interest. a jar of sugar syrup on one side of a table... Give it half an hour. Let them decide that's where that is. Move it to the other end of the table and they will still be flying to the end where the honey was, the sugar wow. syrup was for five minutes before a couple of them will like crawl across the table and realise that it's moved. That's it's insane, like isn't How are they doing bonkers, that? Bonkers, yeah. Within sort of, you know, I don't know half a metre or a metre or Over so. a three or four kilometre yeah, space yeah. they can pinpoint. Yeah, it's something to do with like almost a bit like polarised vision so they can see the, so the angle of the, the sun. They can tell where they are. But the sun moves. Yeah, it does, but then so does the dance. That's just bonkers. Yeah, Lovely. I don't think it's done magnetically. I think it's done from the light.
0: Amazing. My son was worried
1: when you were talking about,
0: you know, can you get your head around, kind of like you know being stood in a swarm of bees and not panic because he knows I've I've loved bees for years just <laughs> conceptually, and uh, he was very nervous when I uh, was coming here this morning. That I'd come back with some uh, talking about sheep in orchards. Am I seeing something yeah, or out of that sheep. window? They've a sheep, sheep has literally yeah. appeared. Did you do that? Did you press like the sheep <laughs> button? And then all of no, a sudden, a sheep just, has appeared outside the window in your orchard. They. Um, they're here keeping the grass down at the same Okay, see, so no, I'm not bonkers. No, that's that's it's actually good. A, thing. Good. It's a thing. People will start listening to this podcast soon and thinking I know shit, which will be, uh,
1: which a, will be very real to know. Yeah, yeah. There's a browse level in this orchard where the bee the the, the the sheep have eaten everything. Right. Below that point.
0: Okay, amazing. Right, so you go out, you can find one of these swarms, you can take it home, but yeah. then you need a you need a hive. Yeah, basically. you need a hive you can't to put just it put in. it in your lounge or yeah. whatever you put you need it in a, a hive. hive and some space. And, and the whatever. reason they
1: like hives, what is it about these hives that Bees are like obsessive compulsive maniacs. They take it to the next level. They are shape and space warriors. They love it. They they want a really precise gap between the lobes of the cells, like the you know the hexagonal cells that they make. They want a really precise gap between that. They want. A, they have a really optimal cavity that they like to fill in its depth and width, and they like a specific entrance size and. Um, I think it was Langstroth or was it dayton i can't remember who got it first i think it was Langstroff. he has a, re- a reverend i think of some sort and he discovered that if you put sort of like layers we call them frames frames of beeswax into a box the bees a certain amount of the time would fill the frames and you could take the frames out to look at the bees. And that was the biggest advancement in beekeeping in the last few hundred years, was that you could get them out and you could look to see whether they had honey, whether they were healthy, what they were doing. As before we had these scaps, sorry, tangents. No. And that's like a, like a bucket made out of straw. And the only way you had to harvest the honey was to kill all the bees inside it. Right. So for like several hundred years, people were breeding bees backwards. So the bees that made the most honey were the ones that got killed every year. And the ones that didn't have enough honey at the end of the season would be the yeah. ones that would make it through to the next year. Wow. So we were selectively breeding crap bees. Yeah. And so everyone's like, the sort oh, Skeps, this lovely romantic idea about the past. Yeah, it's like all of that wow. rubbish. What's you know, that? you're looking at it with rose-tinted spectacles. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as good back then, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So how does it work in a hive then? And what, what, what are the bees actually doing in there? So they have a, like a brood nest at the bottom which is the bigger box and that has all the larvae in it and pupa that look like grubs well they are grubs um in the bottom and then they'll store pollen down there to feed them because that's the uh, source of protein they have and then they'll store a little bit of honey in the bottom as well and then in the wild they would obviously fix themselves to the to the ceiling of the space they were in and build down but in hive, the heat rises, and it's the heat that they need in order to keep themselves alive, because they're psychrophilic, and they have to follow that heat. And we've exploited that, and so we put these, little, we put like a uh, like a filter on the top that stops the queen getting through, called a queen excluder, so she can't lay any eggs in the top. And they'll, that's the best place for them to make the honey, so that all the honey will be on the top. And then when there's enough honey, we'll we'll take it. I mean, most some people, a lot of people will just take all of the honey regardless, but we always leave enough honey that the bees... Because obviously it's better to feed them honey than it is to feed them sugar syrup, which is the alternative. Because it's, you yeah. know with everything we just talked about. Yeah, it's natural. Yeah, okay.
0: Uh, so they, so they're fundamentally building up a storage so that they've got that for the winter. But yeah. you can take some of it away, and yeah. then they just keep replacing it, basically. And because
1: we kind of know the parameters they like, we've made it as similar to what they find ideal as possible.
0: Right. And and they they make these the, the kind of structure that you see that kind yeah, of hexagonal. hexagonal yeah. they, they build all of that
1: themselves. Yeah, so they build. They'll, they can build it completely from scratch, or we'll give them like a sort of a foundation layer of wax with that embossed into it that they'll then look at and um, follow from that foundation yeah, okay. that's how we call it foundation yeah. Amazing. which already has the hexagon stamped into it
0: and and they'll kind of look after themselves to an extent Then, will they Yeah, yeah, there in yeah, there yeah, how, how much management does it take they
1: don't take that much management but they do need I mean like people advocate for like no you know no input beekeeping but that's kind of a little bit disingenuous really because if you don't maintain their store levels and their kind of uh, health then you're neglecting your duty really and also you could just be sending out ill bees into the environment infecting other people's bees and you know or producing loads of swarms that you don't know about, and then they're all over your neighbor's washing line or whatever. You know, and, and how do you maintain a
0: bee health like what, do you, what are you Holy looking moly for? Moly. Without, so not not yeah. there's a big question.
1: Uh, <laughs> same as us, really, they need the right diet, they need the right temperature, they need protection from the elements, they need um, enough space, right? Okay, so you'd yeah. be opening
0: it up basically going, Are they happy? Yeah, have Is they got enough space to,
1: to lay in? in order for the workers don't think that they're going to run out of space and start making start starving the queen and then you know swarming they need to have enough food so all of the food groups um they need to have you know enough moisture nearby that they've got water to drink but not too much that they're going moldy and yeah, all of that.
0: Okay, so just give them a bit general of general husbandry, really. Yeah, yeah, a bit, bit of love. It's basically. farming, but with insects. Yeah. You know. Okay, but but not. It's not like you're out there every day. No, no, no. Once hours. you
1: know, once you've got through the swarm season, you might only go and see them once a fortnight. But once for during the swarm season, you need to go and see them every sort of nine to ten days because within that period, they can make cells to the extent where they will be thinking about leaving them behind. Right. I'm presuming that sort of end of summer then is it swarm No, season. beginning. Beginning. Yeah. So um, from sort of end of April till June right yeah. because they're producing so much at that time yeah. that's the main and that's the that would be the ideal time to re-found a new colony because they have to build so they to make wax they'll uh, consume an amount of honey and then they'll and they'll all their jobs are specific during their, relative to their age so at a certain age they're able to produce wax and the wax comes out of glands on their um, on their bottom basically on um, their abdomen Where the plates of the exoskeleton meet, so in order for them to better like articulate, and out through those little gaps, they'll secrete wax in little lobes, looks like sort of little round leaves, Um, and they'll then take that leaf sheet of wax out from under their bum and they'll chew it up in their mouth, and then they'll secrete it back to make the cells to make the hexagonal cells. Right. Sounds lovely. That lots of hand motions yeah. going on here. Sorry.
0: Okay. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> I
1: should have, should have filmed you. Um, and when can you harvest honey? Then is that from well, as soon as you know? Sometimes in the spring we have to take some honey off if they've made a lot of say like ivy or something that would be blocking up the frames for them to not start bringing other nectars in. Mm. Uh, so if they, whenever there's a surplus of one thing, we'll take that away and then we'll keep that until the next surplus comes along and then we'll extract from the frames i will extract what was the surplus that would have been filling the gap if the next lot hadn't come along and then we we'll just keep doing that so that if the next thing that should be a surplus doesn't materialize because it's too wet or it's too cold or doesn't whatever then we'll give it back what we just took and then so we're always like one step okay. behind yeah or two steps behind usually okay and that would so that the, that would carry on from
0: spring to what until the summer? sort of end
1: of End of August, yeah. End of August, right. Yeah. Okay.
0: And you're, uh, so you, you're doing all sorts, and I just want to talk about what you actually do. So you, you produce honey, raw honey, am I right yeah. in saying? What's the yeah. difference? Sorry, what, what's so we don't difference? heat
1: it. Um, there's like honey and wax, obviously, are like intrinsically together in the hive, and we spin it with a centrifuge to get the honey out of the wax comb. But there was a period, I guess, I don't know exactly when it was, but in a, this whole like, let's make agriculture as efficient as it can be scenario, we discovered that you could just melt it all and the wax comes to the top and the honey sinks to the bottom and and it's just easy. You know, you can just press the button and it's sorted out type thing oh. and then come back to it and lift the wax off the top and let the honey out the bottom. Um, but when you heat it, you're basically just turning what's already an inverted sugar um, into caramel. You're just heating it up, you're just right. turning, you're just cooking the sugar and making it all homogenous and what's nice about honey from different what i just discussed with you know taking in steps like that is you have different flavors throughout the year yeah and those different flavors are down to all sorts of different factors you know aromatic compounds and that yeah that are very nuanced and if you heat that up all the aromatics just get driven straight off you kill all the enzymes Mm -hmm. um and you also what people tend to do is and this is from, this is a fault of the associations and competitions. There was this like drive to not have bee legs and honey, which is great. I can see the point in that. But it, they took it to its extreme conclusion. And so they've removed everything. There's no pollen. There's no wax. There's, you know, by heating it and filtering it, you're making it real shiny. And like, wow, look at that amber nectar, literally. Uh, you take all the goodness out of it and you homogenize it. Right, same as, uh, same as wheat when you take out the endosperm and all yeah, that other yeah, stuff exactly, and you end up with yeah. flour that lasts yeah. three years and, instead you know, of and six and there's sweets. difference between milk that's, you know, been pasteurised, but that's all it's had done to it, and milk that's been homogenised and pasteurised and mm-hmm. flipping filtered. and exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the, so the honey you're buying in the supermarket pretty much is always going to be... Uh, Largely, yeah. It's heated, always, filtered. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and also it will be a blend of all the different seasons and different parts of the world. Because they want to be able to produce it all the time, or because yeah, a bit of both. They want consistency, and also it's just plant size. So if you're producing you know X million jars, you want to just be able to smash on all day with that and not stop. Um, yeah. uh, you know, whereas the way we do it, we'll extract one variety, and we we'll, have you know we'll record everything and check the moisture contents and all the covenants, and then we'll look at the next lot of power we've got, and we'll separate out the diff- you know, different areas and different times. And then we'll extract that. And then, we're you know, so what would be easier would be to just smash on through it, uncap it all, spin it out until one tub's full and move on to the next big tub. And then when we finish that job, tidy it all that little way and then start jarring it up. But the way we do it, we end up with different flavours and you can tell where it's come from. Yeah. We know, you know, literally which bees have made that jar of honey.
0: Right. Was there a thing about pregnant women not being able to take raw honey or something? It's Is that kids right? actually, it's kids.
1: infants under one years, yes. Um, mm-hmm. There's a really small chance of there being botulism spores in honey. Right, okay. Yeah, and botulism you can't you can't get rid of it at right. the temperatures that we would deal with it. In fact, I'm not even sure if we can get rid of it at the temperature. Okay.
0: And then a random question, I was on the phone to a, a guy who works with me called Ed, who will appreciate if I ask this, uh,
1: gets really bad hay fever and was told, yeah local we get, honey to get so of many fever. people buy it for that i mean obviously we have we can't make any claim about it but so many people swear by it i mm. mean i i don't suffer from hay fever anymore i used to when i was younger but um uh i don't and you know people but people go that's and, and we fell into the niche of doing what we're doing partly for that reason is that I could say exactly where the honey came from and say so people are like, oh, wow, what's the closest to my house? Yeah, or, you know, that's what you were saying. The, tri- yeah. tri- the, the difficulty he's got is like how locally you can get it. Yeah, yes. but, but it's, I think it's more to do with the season. Right. Because if you say your, your hay fever is really bad in yeah. the middle of the summer, there's no point in having... Honey from the spring, even if it's from outside your door, is it? No, it I makes sense. Thought.
0: No, you'd imagine yeah, I might get affected by tree pollen. I think it is because of the, the time of year. Yeah, get it, whatever. So, so, you know, that would make I, sense.
1: If that was going to work, then you'd want your tree pollen, but I, mean, I don't know. So, it's one yeah, of those things, seasonality isn't it? of pollen. Yeah. So, where do you sell your honey then? Uh, just directly, over over the farm gate or through. Uh, food fairs and markets and stuff.
0: Right, okay. Yeah, but, but you don't just do honey. What else is it you're making from your...
1: So the first two years that we kept bees were really wet years and all we had was beeswax because we were mostly kind of taking over old equipment and rebuilding new equipment, producing a lot of wax in doing so and making a lot of mistakes. And a friend of mine worked, well, I used to do a bit of rep work as well, off-season, um, and one of the guys that I worked with was really into nutrition and like he was a, sort of, he was getting over an injury. So he was like a bodybuilding all the time and he's eating all these weird things and they're all like bright orange and pink and strange ingredients. And I'm like, dude, what Like, what are you trying to get out of this? And he's like, oh, I need this many carbs and I need this much fat and I need, you know, this much, you know, all these different things. And I'm thinking, well, I'm growing oats and wheat and barley and I've got, you know, there's a bit of honey and there's, there's protein from the pollen and the wax would make a really good, like, binding agent because they they do use like sort of other types of wax. And uh, my cousin at a dairy farm, so I'm like, well, we can make our own butter effectively if, as well if we need more fats. So we were trying to make these like uh, sort of bodybuilder energy bar type things, but it was just too far ahead of the curve. It was just like probably a decade ahead of anybody being any interested at all in the provenance or the quality of what they were actually putting. And they just wanted muscle fast. Mm. So it just didn't work. Anyway, cleaning the pots out, some of it would always, because they were really big pots, they would it would cool fast around the edges and stick to the side of the pot. So I was scraping the pots out one day with a, a like a, Plastic spatula thing and um, just scraping it onto my hand. And uh, I'm like, God, this is like basically kind of like a salve. And I used to use this like Norwegian fish farmers' hand salve stuff, which is just petroleum jelly basically. And it's really similar to that. So I just flopped into a pot and um, uh, I was using it on my beekeeping gloves and I was just using it like, you know, kind of like Vaseline really to stop things sticking together. Anyway, so then I just took the butter and the oats and the other stuff out and made up a batch of this stuff. And I don't know, I think I like gave some of it away for, you know, it was like Christmas. Everyone's expecting pots of honey. And I'm like, sorry, guys, show our luck. There's no honey. Have this instead. And some people came back with like a pos- with positive feedback. Well, no, I actually, said it was crap. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and then you know, like Mother's Day came along, so I'm like, yeah, I could put a bit of flipping lavender in this and try that, and you know, all these things, and it just snowballed. Like everything else I've done, I've just fallen into it by accident, trying to do one thing and started doing another thing. Yeah. So I've ended up where I'm sat now. Right.
0: So now you've got a range of products. Yeah, yeah,
1: own. loads of different products. So some stuff that's for you know wood care, is what I'm doing at the minute. Everything's covered in beeswax, and then. We also make salves and lip balms and, you know, body butters and just, okay. yeah. And
0: and do you sell these through Candles, uh, farm and shops and stuff as well? Or is this all through your website? That's,
1: we do have a website. Um, uh, but mainly we sell that wholesale, uh, like, all across
0: the UK. Do you? Yeah. So you yeah. can produce enough? Yeah. All, all from your own? Not all from your you own, but all
1: from people locally that we know, that we trust, aren't putting, like, weird stuff in with the hives. Okay, and is um, this
0: is this to supermarkets or
1: this is more to smaller retailers? We haven't really found that it works that well in supermarkets because it's not that kind of product. We've we've gone into you know bigger English. department stores and stuff, but it's we've been happy with the sales numbers, right. but they expect stuff to sell really much quicker. Okay, you know we've always been like, wow, we're selling like loads. We're going to make loads more, and you know, how are we going to keep up with this? And then <laughs> it kind of goes on like that for about eighteen months, a couple of years or something, and then. It just uh, like you know, some uh, money board will turn around and be like, No, it doesn't compute, we will stop. You know, it's like that's the wow. way of the world, okay. And do you produce all of that yourself? Yes, yeah, we've got a lab uh, that's not here, you'll be thankful to know. Um, <laughs> and that's yeah, and everything's independently tested, and it's all, yeah, you know, it's a it's a fully adult grown up company, yeah, right. And it's always under the same brand, uh, well, no, so it's uh. <laughs> I won't go on a tangent. It's um, Philbert's, <laughs> of, Philbert's of Dorset is the cosmetics and that side of the beeswax side. And this is the Twinways Orchard where, you're, where we're sat today. And so we, the honey is um, sort of from a separate company because there's, you know, it's sort of land and limited companies and stuff. So yeah. you just keep the two things separate. Um, and um, my surname is Rogers. So it's Rogers' apiary and Rogers' cider and, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. And filberts. My mum's name is Philida, so yeah. she's Phil. And right. filberts are the hazelnuts. I'm pointing out the window because there's a hazel hedge, and that's one of the earliest pollens in the year. Oh wow! Um, and so the bees work that to a small extent, not that much because it's actually a wind-pollinated plant. But um, they do, and so that's that. And so it was filberts. Uh, I think. Filbert's originally, and then someone else came along and did the nuts and we ended up having to have argy-bargy about the name and they ended up with a, a prefix and we had a suffix of bees
0: oh man we make life complicated for ourselves human beings sometimes oh, yes. don't we wouldn't you rather be a bee but not a male bee uh i'm i'm very close because i'm conscious of time yeah, but um, i know one of the other things and you do awful. is uh pollinate you, you still do pollination yeah. services yeah, yeah and yeah, this we... is a thing where literally you you rock up at somebody else's yeah. farm with a load of bees we'll yeah.
1: take a trailer load of bees or yeah however many we need over and put them through a crop and then people will loosely pay us <laughs> or, uh, for our services does that
0: help you because the bees this is what you did in the negotiation starts it I swings suppose but does, does it, yeah, is it it useful? rarely
1: helps us at all really but we keep on doing it really yeah yeah i heard people kill them all I was going to
0: say I, there was a thing in the, in, in the paper often. a couple of weeks ago I think it was the Guardian about yeah. I think it might have been US centric but it was yeah. about the almond yeah. pollination and it was like wiping out 70% of their bees you know yeah. every time they did well, it because, but they still did
1: it because over there, you get paid per colony to be there because they realise the value of it, Um and there are even brokers that make money in between. The yeah, they were huge, It was a huge yeah, operation. It's a massive, yeah. massive yeah. crop of bees. And over here, it's more because people realise they need a bit of pollination, so you do that. But you know, I mean, I mean, they'll get they'll get sprayed, they get plumbins, stressed. <sighs> okay, really? But sometimes they make a decent crop, and it'll be something different to sell at markets. So right. You know. It's a risk, but yeah. otherwise, all we'd have to say would be apple orchard honey, right. which is nice, but it's just one thing. You know. Yeah, okay,
0: quite. Yeah, I
1: find it fascinating that
0: you can uh, that you can go off and do that, and you do do courses as well, so people. Yeah, can we've turn done off. that
1: more and more now, and that's good because uh, it's a way of giving people a chance to have a look at bees in a more. What I found, I got really stitched up when I started keeping bees because they weren't that impressed with me being on a course anyway. The woman. Who was of a certain age had said, Oh, when I started beekeeping, oh, yeah, I was just wearing a gingham skirt and a, we had a little piece of muslin tied across our face to um, stop the bees getting in our noses. And I was like, God, I am so gonna better do that. No problem. I got so badly stunned. Really? It's that, it's just, it's like a it's, a, it's an environment where there's less pressure and bravado to be a particular way. You know, people can come here and they can put a suit on. And, you know, I like to think I'm emotionally intelligent enough to think, you know, to be able to gauge how well people are getting on with the situation right. and gear it around them rather than it being like uh, the set of scenario that, that you find in a group or a club where there's already a pecking order and everybody's got to find their way in that pecking order and, right. you know, where do you fit in and you know you're new to it all anyway and there's that pressure on top of the fact that you're being surrounded by a cloud of bees that are trying to sting you or not you know so it's just like a nicer environment to do it in yeah, and it we get and, and more and more people doing it how often do you do this uh just ad lib really so as much as people want get in touch yeah and this touch. is, this and is we do, website. Yeah, yeah yeah i'm coming i'm gonna i'm yeah, gonna come I on, be fascinated i think the site for our site is something like twinways.com and the other one is, I think it's Phil, it's or something okay. like that. Okay, I yeah. will get
0: the definite links and yeah. I'll put them on our website. So humansofhospitality.co.uk. I'm the mud yeah. end of the stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All too often I ask at the end where the website is and people don't know. So, uh, yeah. Um, you've also built your own house, which we're sat in. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's been a labour of love that you've been doing for a while, but it's uh, it's looking awesome. It's looking pretty close. How, it's how long do you really finish? really
1: close. I mean, we're like a hop, skip and a jump away now, really. Amazing. And a load of paperwork.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> and and surrounding your own orchard, um, out have everything you do. Then, with all these different things, which, which bit
0: is is the bit that's the most rewarding? When you get up in the morning and you're kind of excited about the day, is there a particular thing that you
1: do that you Getting get? Getting a queens right's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty novel. Like when you uh, create a batch of queen bees from the bloodlines that you've chosen, and then you manage to get keep them alive for long enough and collect enough drone semen to be able to inseminate them and not kill them doing that and then them survive and not get eaten by a bird the first time they fly and then start making their own nest colony and then or someone else buys one and you see them and you say how are those bees and they're like yeah they were really nice um that's kind of that's probably the best bit that's pretty awesome am i right in saying when you buy a bee you send it in the post yeah yeah. Really, our bloodstock comes in from different places, all through the post.
0: How, how do they? How long can a bee live in the post? Is that? Uh, they... So
1: someone last year put some in the post on a bank on the Thursday before a bank holiday. Might have even been one of those double whammy scenarios, and they had so they'd sat for five days in the post, and I thought they were all going to be toast by the time they got to me, but they were fine. Really? Yeah, they a, just they, you pack them in with you have a queen and. Probably I don't know ten or so workers and a lump of um, like high fructose whatever gubbins candy and that's it. That's incredible. Yeah, right? In a little plastic cage in a plumbing envelope with holes punched in it.
0: Amazing.
1: With okay. Bees written on the outside, which is fairly obvious because the thing's buzzing that's pretty that's bonkers, greatly that? at the <laughs> time. <laughs> So with all of that, and, and thank you for
0: taking the time. It's been brilliant. And I'm glad I've waited uh, for Sorry, you to, 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 for you to build like your house. way longer than No, no, have no, been. no. I, I personally uh, love it. Let's hope there's other humans out there who can listen for 90 for minutes. Long. Sorry, B- if you've B-B- got this far. Well, yeah, yeah, done. yeah. Well done. Well done if you've got here. And uh, yeah. Uh, but it's been uh, spot on. And I, I've learned a huge amount, as I knew I would. But from a sort of optimist, pessimist perspective, when you with all of that backdrop and the complexities of what's going on, do you look forward and kind of go, OK, oh this is going to get better, this is going to get worse. And, and is it, you know, who's going to help with this? Is it farmers? Is it government? Is it, is it consumers? What, what's your general kind of
1: feeling? God, I'm such a pessimist. I think, <laughs> I think we're all screwed. <laughs> and that's the end. No, <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, just, I just don't see how, like, there's so many conflicting uh, narratives. And it's like, you know, for everybody that says there's a problem, someone that says that, that there isn't. And then there's also just conflicting necessities. You know, like I just can't, can't see people pulling it all together enough in time, really. Penny. Really? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I spoke to, uh, to Geising Watson, who I mentioned earlier, he kind of felt that things were getting worse
1: and better at the same time. Yes. Yeah, he was no, like, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, there are like definitely people making big strides, but they aren't the people that have got the purse strings in their hand mm-hmm. and they aren't the people making policies. Yeah. You know, and, and like I, I speak to a few times a year I get close enough to someone of any political you know importance and I try to talk to them about it. they couldn't give them monkeys really yeah and even people you know like there was this big there's a large festival uh, on a farm and uh, I met a, one of the people that ran it and I said to him, you know you've got real potential to show what I've been doing to a much bigger audience and people will listen to you because they do And um, I got, we got, we met and we got quite far with it and I thought, this is great. And then the flipping bean counter got involved and that was it, shot it all in the ass. Just, that was the end of it.
0: That's uh, scary. Have you spoken to the National Trust or any
1: perspective on Tried. uh, Say again? Tried, but, and I've tried the Bumblebee Conservation Trust and I've tried. There was some farming, like a stewardship kind of uh, conservation trust type thing. They made sounds about being interested, but you know it's just mm. it's going to take someone to take a big leap of faith, and also for for it to work out as well. You know, a couple of years ago we tried it on a small scale somewhere, but we just had a freakishly dry year and nothing germinated. And it wasn't the end of it as such, but it was such a big blow for the person that was involved because they, you know you invest a lot of invest a lot in both yeah. emotionally and, and financially end of doing it and if it goes wrong the first time, there's not a lot of incentive to get it to try it again. because you think oh, that's stupid. He yeah, really it. was bonkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he's as mad as a I was gonna rocks. get
0: someone from the National Trust on the podcast, but I was chatting to someone in a in a separate meeting uh, a month or so ago and I said, Look, you guys are such huge landowners. Surely, you know, and, and a lot of that land, land they, they lease to farmers. So mm. Surely as the National Trust, you should be in a position to try and influence the sort of things that are happening on your land and the sort of farming. So it's not just let to anybody. Yeah. And to be fair, they said that you know, that conversation is happening. They so. do have that
1: conversation, for sure. I know people that have been involved in you know, applying for tenancies and things, but it's just, you know, there's just so many factors. Yeah, and it's a drop in the ocean, I yeah. suppose. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Thank you. And uh, <laughs> Thank you. On, on, on that note, the, the point of this podcast is to uh, is to have these conversations and make people aware. I am a, a, a deluded optimist, whereas you may be a continual pessimist. That I is. hope yeah. that by by at least having the conversation, um, you know, people have a greater appreciation for this. And 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 I'm constantly to make the point that you know where and how we spend our money you know, impacts the world we're going to live in. So if yeah. we just choose to spend our money in a better way on different things, maybe
1: ultimately... Yeah, well, it's have like... It's, you've, well, I mean, people talk about climate change and people say, oh, no, it's all a hoax, why should we do it? And you think, well, well just because it makes stuff nicer, like even if it wasn't a big thing and it, and it is, you know, we're, we're misguided wouldn't it be better for it to just be better anyway like would that be a bad thing yeah absolutely yeah yeah no you're right yeah
0: okay good well look thank you again mark very much appreciated and good luck and uh yeah i'll be back to learn more about bees on a course thank you Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast and remember that on the website humansofhospitality.co.uk every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned and we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics so you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday